cup of kindness oh, yet for days of all Yes, it's out with the old and in with the new. A new weather year is here. What kind of weather will sweep in in 2009? And what about the weather year that was? 2008 will be remembered for massive floods, record tornadoes, and an active hurricane season. But what is the top weather story of 2008? And what kind of weather music will greet the new year? Put on your weather thinking caps and get ready to ride into the new year of weather with jet streaming from Minnesota Public Radio. For all, for all Happy New Year, everybody. I'm Minnesota Public Radio Weather Chief Paul Hutner, University of Minnesota and Minnesota Public Radio's very own climate and weather expert, Dr. Mark Seeley, is here today. Happy New Year, Mark. And Happy New Year to you, too, Paul. Well, it was a wild year, and I think this is a great opportunity for us to sit down, uh, as we do every week, and we kind of highlight the top weather themes of the week. Time to wrap the year up, and nobody better to do it with than you, Mark. I, I was... I was just kind of floored. I saw one estimate that natural disasters may have killed as many as 220,000 people worldwide in 2008. And, of course, uh, Cyclone Nargis uh, may have been the bulk of those. I've seen estimates anywhere from 70,000 to as high as 135,000. The earthquake in China, which is not directly a weather-related event, of course, uh, 70,000 dead there in China's Sichuan province. But uh, quite a year on the weather front. And let's down, run down a few of those top weather stories, Mark. We may as well start with a bang, just like the 2008 weather year did. Early season tornado swarms, and it looks like uh, 2008 may go down as the second most active tornado year with about 1,600 tornadoes. Were you uh, a little surprised to see that active start to the year? Certainly was, that, uh, the, especially that uh, January 7th outbreak. Uh, started off the first week of the year 2008 with, uh, oh, I don't know, it was something like 70-some tornadoes, 75 tornadoes were reported. and uh, Yeah, you're e- right on. Even even our friends in Wisconsin there. Now, you know, it made me nervous. Uh, you and I are broadcasting, of course, from Minnesota, which has never seen a January tornado. But then to see an outbreak of tornadoes in Wisconsin in January was, was uh, a bit startling. And what a weather year for southern Wisconsin. The the 100 inches of snow, and we can get to that later for Madison, the all-time record there. Top that off with flooding and tornadoes in January. What a year for southern Wisconsin. It it just seems like it was their number this year. It sure does. Uh, they uh, they gone through a rather uh, traumatic 2008. And, uh, of course, we might add for regional listeners, too, Paul, that uh, they're off to a uh, tough start this winter as well. As we go into 2009, they've already seen a lot of snow this winter over in Wisconsin. And the, the tornadoes theme that uh, ran throughout the year not only did we have that January outbreak, uh, but February Super Tuesday, a big day. Of course, everybody was focused on the primaries and politics that day, but uh, I'm seeing uh, maybe as many as 131 tornado reports that day, 57 dead. And as you pointed out, that 57 is a remarkable number, isn't it? It sure is. It was the highest death toll uh, from tornadoes in 
quite a number of years, according to NOAA's uh, Storm Prediction Center. And, uh, yeah, that, that was very traumatic. Of course, that was down in some of the southern states, Arkansas, Alabama, Kentucky, Tennessee, Mississippi. That's where most of those 131 tornado reports came from. But um, that was that was a very di- difficult, uh, given the context, too. Uh, like you said, Super Tuesday, February 5th, all the media attention, at least starting out that day, was, was focused on all the primaries going on. And, uh, you know, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention Parkersburg, Iowa, that uh, EF5 tornado that virtually devastated that community. I, I am still stunned by the pictures there. What what do you take away from that event? Well, uh, I've been a little disturbed, to be honest, Paul, uh, with the uh, number of EF5 and EF4 tornadoes that we've been seeing in recent years. And uh, as you'll recall... Uh, I don't know. I I really don't know the answer to this, but it appears to me as if we're seeing a higher level of devastation from some of these. Uh, Notably, uh, you know, the the Greensburg tornado um, in uh, Kansas last year, and then this one in Iowa this year. And um, I'm worried that there's an undercurrent of our vulnerability that's still playing out here that we're not giving proper attention to. Well, and and on that note, the Little Sioux, Iowa tornado, June 11th, uh, that hit the Boy Scout camp in western Iowa, four killed there, 60 injured, uh, path about three-quarters of a mile wide. Um, that, of course, another a very a very tragic and sad event. And you know, our own uh, Hugo tornado this year, uh, Memorial Day weekend, right. um, that was, uh, was that an F3, I believe, Mark? Did they finally categorize that as? Yes, that's right. They, they, uh, that was one of three uh, EF3 tornadoes in, in Minnesota this year. I believe that was the first one. And, of course, we lost a two-year-old boy with that storm. Yeah, tragic, and folks still still rebuilding lives and psyches there in Hugo. Well, to wrap that up then, it looks like uh, we end up around 1,600 tornadoes for this year. That makes it the second most active tornado year in the United States. Uh, 2004 still leads with 1,817, and the three-year average of 1,159. So we're uh, uh, almost uh, four or 500 tornadoes ahead of that three-year average. Mark, what else, uh, both in the United States and globally, struck you as a big weather story for 2008? Well, I think internationally uh, speaking, uh, Paul, some of the uh, most traumatic weather, some of the most uh, traumatic blows of weather uh, struck Taiwan, uh, Myanmar, along the Burmese coast there, uh, Vietnam, and Cuba. Those four countries had very, very traumatic uh, weather events and episodes in 2008. You'll recall that uh, in July last summer, two typhoons hit Taiwan. Two, mm-hmm. two typhoons and did uh, tens of millions of dollars of damage uh, to that nation. The first delivered up to 43 inches of rainfall. The second wow. delivered up to 33 inches of rainfall and knocked out the country's electric utility grid for days. They suffered widespread agricultural losses, and, and I imagine, you know, they're still in recovery mode uh, over there from that. And then, uh, of course, in November, 
late October, November, we had those devastating floods. Also, I might add, associated with tropical weather disturbances that uh, struck Vietnam. And, uh, and uh, probably the worst to hit Vietnam, they say, since the early 1980s in terms of flash flooding and, uh, and, and loss of life. There were over 100 deaths uh, reported, and uh, it was, it was uh, uh, very, very traumatic for, for, uh, for that country. I think Hanoi had uh, one of their heaviest uh, rainfalls in, uh, in three decades over there. And then, you know, we can't forget that uh, Cuba, our neighbor to the southeast, went through at least four devastating hurricanes this uh, past North Atlantic hurricane season. They really got hammered big time. Yeah, in fact, uh, looking at some of the the Atlantic hurricane season notes, uh, that was the first time that three major hurricanes struck Cuba in a season. So Gustav Eich and Paloma all uh, going right across the island there. And, of course, we touched on it earlier, Mark, but the May cyclone Nargis, I believe it's pronounced uh, in Myanmar, uh, just an incredible amount of devastation. And with the storm surge there in the low-lying country, we will probably never know exactly how many people were swept away in that storm surge, will we? No, like you said, uh, estimates uh, between, uh, oh, typically 70 and 110,000 in terms of loss of life and you know it brings up another uh, another theme that as we go into 2009 I think it would be wise that we kept this theme first and foremost this vulnerability issue we uh, in terms of the human species are still very very vulnerable to these extremes when it comes to the weather and we don't all have the same technology deployed in our favor. I mean, let's face it. Some of these other countries do not have the caliber of weather service that, for example, we benefit from in this country. And uh, and we all live, or many of us live, uh, around the world, especially in such low-lying areas. I think it's something like half the world's population lives within uh, three to six feet of sea level. So we're, we're, you're right. We're really vulnerable, and this kind of thing may continue to happen. Right. I mean, we're, we're, given, we're giving a lot of attention um, uh, in the uh, climate and weather sciences to climate change and the consequences, the potential detrimental consequences of climate change. But operating in the background, and I think something that we have too often ignored is what can we do about our own vulnerability to weather today? What can we do? Aren't, aren't there some better strategies we could deploy that would help protect us from these uh, huge, huge economic consequences that these events and episodes bring? You are so right. And uh, we're here with Dr. Mark Seeley today. We are wrapping up the weather year 2008 today on Jet Streaming. And, Mark, uh, the Atlantic hurricane season turned out to be a, a biggie, a total of 16 named storms this season. Uh, that is the uh, one of the more active, uh, in fact, uh, fourth most active in terms of named storms and major hurricanes with five. Uh, we had uh, five major Category 3 or higher hurricanes, and it was really active for the U.S. This was the first time on record Six consecutive tropical cyclones, Dolly, Edward Fay, Gustav, Hannah, and Ike, all made landfall on the U.S. mainland 
with a record uh, three major hurricanes uh, that struck Cuba. So pretty active season here. Faye was notable, wasn't it, Mark, for several reasons? Oh, yes. Uh, wasn't that the one, Paul, that hit the coastline of Florida four times? Indeed. Yeah, that's that's just uh, unheard of. Uh, Florida's never been hit by the same tropical storm or hurricane four times like that. I imagine that was very hard for the residents down there to cope with. Yeah, and and we have friends in the Tampa area, and I know talking to people, they had a couple of quiet years, and then, of course, you remember uh, they got slammed uh, in 2005, I believe, and 2004, it's really deeply embedded into the psyche down there, and it gets to be almost a, a fearful anticipation in Florida when you get into those early hurricane months toward May, June, and into July. I know that. Um, and what about uh, Ike? Ike, of course, hit the United States, hit the Texas coast, Galveston Island. Mark, one of the things that, that astounded me about Ike and that they're really going and studying afterwards, it was a Category 2 storm at landfall, Yet the storm surge, the effects of the storm surge and the water that came ashore, wind-driven water on Galveston Island, caused damage that was more akin to maybe a Category 4 storm. And large areas of that coastline are still sitting there in rubble today. Oh, yes. The damages were, were uh, in fact, maybe in terms of Category 2, the damages exceed anything in, in history. Uh, the other real notable feature that I think makes Hurricane Ike a uh, a case study that we're going to continue to hear about in the future was its uh, its longevity because elements of that storm system, as you know, Paul, hung together, uh, merged in the middle part of the country, and uh, formed an extratropical storm system that also devastated parts of Illinois, Indiana, uh, went out across the Atlantic and brought a huge uh, storm surge along with high wind gusts to Iceland. And so it just somehow had this unbelievable endurance in terms of hanging together as a weather disturbance in the northern hemisphere. I believe the last estimates for all of the weather losses that were ascribed to Ike is something on the order of $20 billion. Remarkable stuff. And, and you know, you raise a good point because as, as we track these systems, low-pressure systems in general, it's we focus on that landfall, and then we, we tend to lose a little bit of the media attention on the storm. But atmospherically speaking, sometimes these low-pressure systems hold together for days and have even been known to hold together for one entire trip around the earth. Um, so these these lows morph from tropical systems into extratropical systems, and they can maintain, as you pointed out, their characteristics for long periods of time. I might point out one other uh, element of a storm system you mentioned, Paul, which was Gustav, mm-hmm. uh, because uh, what that showed, if we frame that as a case study again, is that it is possible. Now, of course, this was primarily dictated for the Louisiana residents when Gustav occurred, but we are capable of evacuating 2 million people in an orderly fashion. Yes, yes, <laughs> indeed. And that, and that yeah. was uh, really good to see. And then, of course, the storm curved, and probably thankfully, and, and the brunt of it missed the New Orleans area. So that was good. At least we didn't push those levees and overtop them once again. Mark, uh, what else do you see here uh, as big weather stories for 2008? Well, uh, 
Southern Hemisphere story, probably the leading Southern Hemisphere story, is what's going on uh, in Australia. Uh, Melbourne suffered their driest September in history. And at the same time, we had drought endure across many parts of Australia, notably southern Australia, for a fourth consecutive year, Paul. Now, the reason I think that this has great implications is because what we're hearing from the Australian government officials is that many of the cities now and, uh, and, and the uh, parts of Australia that rely on fresh water supply for both municipal uh, usage and agricultural usage are going into desalinization big time. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're, they have a goal that uh, up to 30% of their fresh water supply uh, is going to come from desalinization. And they're targeting, you know, desalinization is energy intensive. It's a big, big energy user. Mm-hmm. But what they're doing is they're targeting energy resources based on solar and wind technology that might power these desalinization plants. Interesting. So, so they're looking at more sustainable sources of energy to go after this desalinization goal to meet some of their water needs down there. And I think that's got great implications for other areas of the world that may be suffering from drought as well. Very, very interesting and good insight there. You know, from drought mark to flood, of course, right here in the upper Midwest, uh, it was a wild year. The Cedar Rapids, the Cedar River flooding down in Iowa, Cedar Falls, the University of Iowa campus uh, severely flooded. Uh, that that with the Wisconsin floods as well, it was a, it was a wild start to summer here in the Upper Midwest in terms of flooding rains. It sure was the uh, the nine watersheds in Iowa that all surpassed all historic flood crests was just amazing to me, including the Cedar River that runs through Cedar Falls. There, uh, unbelievable amounts of rainfall, notably the first two weeks of June, and. Uh, when all is said and done, I think that, too, brought multi-billions of dollars in losses, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Paul, because uh, not only were there property and infrastructure-associated losses with those floods, but there were pretty large agricultural losses as well. Indeed, and, and another uh, U.S. headline, the, the wildfire season in California, particularly devastating out there with... Uh, you know, hundreds of homes gone. Now, you know, it, it gets big headlines. We know that fire is a natural part of the ecology in California, but they've had a real run out there of bad fire years. They sure have. Uh, you know, they've busted their budget, you might say. I know I know. at least two, uh, two of the more recent years, they've busted their budget in fighting these fires in California. Uh, just uh, last June, June of 08, they had over 800 what they call severe wildfires going on in the state of California and lost a number of homes uh, in those fires as well. And uh, that doesn't even have anything to say about uh, what what they did to air quality. Air quality was pretty bad out there. As you Mm -hmm. know, California has some pretty dense population centers as well. Let's talk about the Arctic for a minute. Uh, this year, Arctic sea ice was, the, I believe, the second lowest uh, extent, or we could say the second biggest melt of Arctic sea ice on record. Last year, 2007, was the, uh, 
the highest record melt, to put it one way. Um, a couple of years in a row with big time melting in the Arctic. What did you take from that? Well, I think uh, uh, above and beyond anything else that's being measured out there, that is probably a signal of what climate change is doing at the high latitudes. We we keep hearing about the loss of permanent uh, of uh, permafrost on the landscape. Uh, we keep hearing about the development of convective thunderstorm systems at very high latitudes. Uh, we we keep hearing about uh, the uh, threat to uh, polar bears in terms of habitat loss, but above and beyond anything else, this measured aerial loss in the polar ice sheet that we get from satellite from the National Ice Center is just mind-boggling, uh, Paul. I th- I think it's proceeding uh, at a rate or a pace that is beyond what the climate models even suggest. So this is rather disturbing that the climate models may be underestimating the pace in the loss of that polar ice cap. And it's also one of the really independent and unique measurements, I think, of climate change. You can you can debate whether the surface temperature record has any biases due to urban heat island effect, um, you know, you can debate a lot of things, but they're really, that's kind of the canary in the coal mine. There there really are no roads or urban areas up there to affect local climate. That uh, that sheet of ice up there pretty much kind of an indicator of what's happening to our global temperature. Um, Mark, the uh, speaking of ice, New England, that big ice storm, December 11th uh, through the 14th, they were coated with uh, as much as an inch of ice uh, throughout much of New England. Uh, a million people lost power. Uh, that reminds us that ice storms can be some of the most devastating weather events. It sure does. Uh, it, it might also be a reminder to our listeners that uh, if we assess the historical frequencies of these storms, we do tend to see a spike in a lot of these frequencies during the month of December. So uh, at least from a seasonality standpoint, this seems to uh, be an, a, another example of uh, December bringing a rather devastating ice storm uh, to a lot of people there in the Northeast, many of whom, by the way, had to endure loss of power for, for quite an extended period. It wasn't just for a matter of a few hours. Indeed. And, and, and to kind of wrap it all up from the global climate perspective, Mark, it, it looks like the WMO, the World Meteorological Organization, will end up ranking 2008 as the 10th warmest year since... Uh, routine temperature recording, the eighth warmest in the northern hemisphere. And that that still means that the, the 10 warmest years ever recorded have all occurred in the last 12 years, which statistically is, is highly unlikely. You would expect uh, half of those years to be uh, perhaps below average and above, half above from a statistical standpoint. We got a lot of mention, Mark, this year from some climate skeptics about the fact that uh, 2008 was uh, slightly cooler than some of the previous 10 years or so. 1998, of course, having been measured by tree rings and ice cores as perhaps the warmest year in a 1,000 years in the planet. But it's interesting to note that 2008 was still almost three-quarters of a degree Fahrenheit above average, above the 20th century mean globally. And uh, it uh, another top 10 year, certainly to me, Looks like we just haven't busted this trend yet of very warm years in the globe. 
Yeah, we're, we're certainly beyond a chance occurrence when you see the distribution skewed that way to the recent decade, Paul. It's, it's, uh, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. We're, we're seeing consequential uh, evidence for climate change. We're probably getting to the point where we have to admit that it's proceeding at a more profound rate at the higher latitudes than the, uh, than the subtropical latitudes. The data that go into this assessment, uh, thousands and thousands of data points, many over the ocean basins as well, over the, as, well as over land. And so uh, we, we have to acknowledge this is going on in the world around us. Now, we, we can still uh, make some uh, argument and have some discussion about uh, the, the causes, the attribution, but clearly the human fingerprint is on some of this, and I think that's being more widely accepted. Well, if you look at all these stories, Mark, I, I would put that as my top weather story of 2008, the fact that we... We put together another top 10 year globally. How about you? Of all these, uh, these stories that we've seen, of course, all weather is local, and if it happens in your neighborhood, it may be the biggest story. But what do you think uh, is significant for 2008? Well, the, the older I get, uh, Paul, the more I'm frustrated uh, in terms of how we seem to just want to live with this vulnerability question. I think we could protect ourselves a lot better uh, if we if we undertook a, a, a better system for uh, deploying the technology, and I'm not just talking about detection technologies, but communication technologies, and and trying to make those as equitable as possible, so that all segments of society uh, have, if you will, equal access to these uh, weather warnings, and we don't leave leave anybody, if you will, unaccounted for, so that. Everybody has the opportunity to hear when there is a weather threat. Everybody has the opportunity to react, and everybody understands the protocol for proper reaction. I, I, it's those themes that really irk me the older I get. I think we ought to be doing more about those kinds of things. Excellent point. And as you look ahead to 2009, you know, with the trends we're seeing, what, what are you going to be keeping an eye on for the upcoming year? Well, uh, I'm going to be looking uh, again to see if we uh, continue to see these trends. Uh, now, uh, b- the one that's, I think, bothering me the most is this high variability in precipitation and all the associated hydrologic features. In other words, we continue to see great, great range in terms of those areas with surplus precipitation versus those areas with deficient precipitation. Mm -hmm. I hope it doesn't occur over where you and I live here in Minnesota, but the trend is pretty emphatic in recent decades that we're seeing that kind of thing uh, with with greater frequency. And and I will be looking ahead to a a couple of things this year. Do we put together another top 10 uh, warmest year globally? What happens to that Arctic sea ice in September when we usually reach the minimum there? And uh, will we return to an El Nino phase? We were in La Nina for a year or two there. It's been very neutral lately. It'll be interesting to see how those things develop. Mark, uh, another interesting weather year ahead, that's for sure. And I want to thank you. We'll be here, I know, to talk about it on Jet Streaming. Well, I'm looking forward to working with you another year too, Paul.
Well, New Year's festive atmosphere, it always includes music. And this year, a special treat. 89.3 The Current host Mark Wheat has selected uh, a New Year's weather theme song for us to go out with today. Hi, Mark, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too, Paul. Thanks for having me back. And uh, again, I would love to turn people on to some new versions of uh, classic songs from a uh, label called The Verve Label, who just did some remixes of some traditional songs. And I thought one would fit the New Year's edition of Jetstream perfectly because it's Ella Fitzgerald, and I know you're big fans of Ella. Oh, yeah. And, And she is asking, what are you going to do? on New Year's Eve. Again, a contemporary version using the classic voice of Ella Fitzgerald from uh, the Verve compilation, Verve Remixed for the Holidays. What are you doing on New Year's Eve? You know, I I love that. I love how the song builds and she brings it right away. I mean, there it is. And, you know, the cool thing about this for me, Mark Wheat, is that... uh, just sitting with you for a few minutes, I, I think I'm stuck in kind of a musical rut. I have my my favorite things that I listen to, and I sample a little bit of new stuff here and there. But, boy, you, you can really open somebody's eyes in a hurry. That's beautiful. Well, thanks, Paul. And that's what we try and do on 89.3 The Current. It's uh, jog you out of your comfort box musically and say, uh, listen to this. There's uh, something new. And mix it with some of the favorites as well. So uh, we think that's the way that uh, people like to hear music. They like to have their favorites played and uh, feel comforted by that as well. And uh, they like to have their uh, their curiosity triggered now and again so uh, it's we think it's a perfect combination and i love doing it i love doing my job and uh, i'm certainly going to have a happy new year with all the current listeners and as are we and mark seeley i'm guessing now that we might even get 89.3 the current on over at the u of m climate office there <laughs> you bet paul uh I, especially uh when when mark is on yeah when he's working late yeah when i'm there when i'm there late at night i'm gonna have i've already had that i've already done that late at night that's a good station to have on i can just see you pouring over the climate records over there and digging out uh musical climate facts well mark wheat thank you for joining us this week we again we appreciate it and the happiest new year to you happy new year to you paul and mr seeley and uh i hope uh we have a good year weather-wise And uh, we will. And Mark Seeley will be watching it. Happy New Year to you. I look forward to uh, getting your wisdom and insight uh, on the upcoming weather and climate this year. It's never dull, and you always bring something extra special to the table, and I thank you for that. Well, thanks very much uh, to you, too, and for your leadership, Paul. Well, that's it for this week's edition of Jet Streaming as we close out 2008 and say hello to 2009. It'll be another big, interesting weather year. 
For producers P. Ray Rudolph and Jim Bickle, audio elf Randy Johnson, I'm Paul Hutner. Remember to keep your ear here to jet streaming and keep your weather eye on the sky. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year.